Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. And this is Cindy Meyer. And this is the weekly Cindy Meyer Spirit Seeker Hour. And it's Wake Up With Spirit. Uh, be, basically, be inspired with spirit. So here we are. And I want to tell you just a little bit about Spirit Seeker and um, what we do, what we're all about, and then I will bring my guest on in uh, just a couple moments. So I'm Cindy Meyer, your radio show host, and I am the publisher of Spirit Seeker magazine. Spirit Seeker is a 25-year-old young magazine. We started off as a quarterly newsletter back in the day. We then uh, became a six-time-a-year bi-monthly publication um, that was located primarily in St. Louis. We then migrated uh, west to Kansas City, then north to Chicago, and then south to Florida as far as um, areas where the print magazine was available. We, we, however, have been digital since 1998, and we have many, many readers all over the country, um, and the young people, as we all know, are much more, I shouldn't say much more conscious, but, they're, but they are. They're more green, and they read everything digitally. So we were ahead of the game in publishing starting in 1998 with that. And then we also have had the radio show since 2006, and we switched to, I was in a traditional studio, and then I switched to the Internet format in 2008. So um we were, you know, we, we were one of the first radio shows on the internet, and I must tell you, it's a much uh, easier uh, platform, and it's easy to share because the minute the show is over, it becomes a podcast. All right. So, what else does Spirit Seeker do? We we did uh, hosted 28 holistic conferences from 1996 until 2014, and at that point, we made a decision to. Um, to support other conferences. So each year we support anywhere from 10 to 12 conferences all over the United States. We continue to increase our readership by meeting um, people who are interested in the front lines of um, the mind-body-spirit uh, arena. And so our, our vision and goal at Spirit Seeker is to help you through the magazine, through our weekly email newsletter, through our interviews on the radio show, through the classes that we offer. We just established Spirit Seeker Academy. We will be um, featuring different teachers. Um, if you are interested in any of this information, please join our email list. That's the only way to get the email in your email box that tells you who the guest is on the radio show, when the magazine is online, and other wonderful events. So please, and also, by being on our email list, you are eligible for free books, for free DVDs, CDs, tickets to events. Um, we only do this for our email subscribers. So it costs you nothing. We do not sell our list, and you get wonderful information. So please do join. You can do it one of two ways. You can send an email to info at spiritseeker.com asking to be added to the email list, or you can actually go to spiritseeker.com, and there's join our uh, newsletter. We are redoing the website. Um, it should just just be almost finished. So when you go there after June 1st, it will look um, just a little bit different. Okay, so I think that's it. That's it. Other than you'll see um, that I am teaching some feng shui classes in June, and I'll be doing those over the Internet through Zoom. So if you are interested in feng shui, um, by all means, send me an email or um, just you know call the office. Okay, so that's, that's that. So um, I want to introduce my guest. Um, my guest today is an author and um, psychic medium by the name of Hollister Rand. She will be discussing her latest book, Everything You Wanted to Know About the Afterlife But Were Afraid to Ask. Um, so she's been on the front lines for the last 25 years. She has been um, totally devoted and dedicated to the healing work of mediumship and has um, been included in events and workshops in the United States and abroad. Um, Hollister's work on television includes Tori and Dean, Home Sweet, Hollywood and America Now. 
She's had radio appearances, um, many of them, and including Sirius uh, XM's The Seance with John Edward uh, on John Edward Psychic Radio. She's uh, been on KOST FM's Angels in Waiting. She's been on KBIG FM's Radio Medium and Coast to Coast with George Norrie. Her first book was uh, entitled, I'm Not Dead, I'm Different, Kids in the Spirit Teach Us About Living a Better Life on Earth, published by HarperCollins, and it's available in um, numerous languages. Hollister lives in Los Angeles with her impossibly small chihuahuas, Bodhi and um, Amara Meta, Meta, I'm going to say Amara Meta, but we'll see. All right, and her website is HollisterRand.com, and that is H-O-L-L-I-S-T-E-R-R-A-N-D.com. We will have a uh, an excerpt from her latest book in the June issue. All right, so Hollister, I'm hoping, okay, Hollister, are you there? I am. Thank you so much for that introduction. <laughs> you know, I'm listening to it thinking, who is that person? I realize it's me, and I've been around so long that, you know, the list you just know. gets longer and longer, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And it's like, uh, you know, especially with our, our uh, multi-digital electronic world we live in. It's just, yes, you, know, you have think- to be on everything and doing everything, and it's all very exciting. I mean, it's, you know, I'm always like, what's next? What are we doing? Because oh, the I spirits know. are really good at using technology. They want us to communicate that way. It's interesting, you know. So we'll talk about that. And and you know, so so twenty five years you've been on the front lines. My sense is you've been doing this longer, but that's you know where where we knew about Hollister Rand, shall we say? So yes. I want to go back further, if if we can, uh, especially since you wrote the book you know, talking about the children and, you know, all of the knowledge, et cetera. So, Hollister, what were you like as a child? Um, I was a bit of a precocious child, um, very, very musical, um, took lessons from the time I was young to play piano, sang in choir, traveled with a group. So I was always tied into a very creative um, life. My mother came from that life and, you know, did some recording. She was a recording artist and musician, played the piano. But I also had this side of me that I really didn't feel was acceptable. And that side saw spirits. You know, when I was really young, um, I thought everybody could see spirits like I didn't. Actually, I didn't even realize they were spirits. Um, they were just people, including my grandfather, um, who stood at the foot of my bed each night, even though people in the family and family friends kept trying to explain to me that he was dead. I just, what is dead? How can that be? So then when I mentioned to my mother that I saw a young man coming, uh, you know, a boy with my grandfather, um, the reaction that I got, there was nothing overt but there was just a feeling like, oh, this, we don't talk about that. And later I found out the young boy I was seeing was my uncle who died very young um, from complications due to appendicitis. This was before penicillin, um, you know, had come into, into life. So um, it was such a painful area in our family history. My grandmother never even went back to her own house. She told my grandfather, you have to get us a different house. I'm not going back there. It was so painful. Nobody talked about it. I know. And there we are. So we still couldn't talk about it, even though he was showing up in spirit. So I pretty much shut things down for a very long time. I think this happens a lot, don't you think? Like, you know, the stories that I've heard with psychically gifted um, children who the families just are like, no, 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 no. And then you just kind of put it under wraps. You don't quite, you're not encouraged exactly. Well, these days that has changed. I mean, that's one of the, you you do work long enough in one area in the world and you get to see, you know, arching changes over time. And Um, And that's what I would say here is now I have parents coming to me saying, my child is seeing spirits in the room at night or how my child seems very sensitive. How can I foster that sensitivity? There's a different attitude altogether now. And I couldn't be more delighted. So I work in my workshops with parents to help them teach their children rather than have me teach the children directly. 
Mm-hmm. Which is a much better support system all the way around for the family, for the gifted child, um, and for the parents because oftentimes the parents are just, they don't know what to do and they want well, to not help. Only that, yeah, and not only that, um, children aren't, you know, many children are sensitive. I would think probably all children are. I might even go out on a limb and say all children are sensitive. But often where you find one psychic or one sensitive in a family, you find more than one. So they might be focusing on the child, but there's almost always someone else in the family who has the ability or the sensitivity and may not be acknowledging it. So by working with, you're working with the whole family, you know, not just a lot of focus on a child who may not want all that attention, by the way. I understand. So, um, so, so you having this gift as a child, and then later coming. Um, let's just hear your, about your journey. I mean, I, what prompted you to write your first book? And then I kind of I read your introduction that your agent sent. Um, so we and I and I thought, oh, this is perfect. So we can talk about what guided you into writing these books. Was that? Did you hear that in meditation? It's time to to share this knowledge, or how did it come that you um, started writing these amazing books? Well, I had the feeling that uh, spirit wanted me to write. One of my majors in college was English, so I always wanted to be a writer. Um, And I, I was getting this prompting, Hollister, write a book, write a book, write a book. Well, I was doing an event, uh, a week-long retreat in Virginia Beach, and a woman got off the elevator as I was about to get on, and she said, oh, Hollister Rand, I have read your book, every word of it, loved every word of it. Now, at that point, I hadn't written any books. So I was so flustered, I actually didn't even get on the elevator. I sort of walked out of the front door of the hotel, and I said to Spirit, you guys are really funny. That's funny. So at that point, I thought, yeah, I thought, all right, so the book is already written in some way, or it's so out there and visible that people are actually seeing it and think they've read it. So, because I really don't think the woman thought she was just being nice. I mean, you know, it was really funny. So I was down in San Diego and thought, oh, let me just see if there's a, you know, I don't know how to write a book or I don't know how to sell a book or I don't know anything about the publishing industry. Let me see if there's a writer's conference and there happened to be a writer's conference in San Diego where I was going to be doing my work. And I went to this writer's conference and I was one of two people that walked out of that conference with a deal in the works. There were probably about 450 people at the conference. And the odd thing was, the person I met when I walked in and, you know, went into the burger bar to eat uh, was the other person who got a book deal. And her book was a business book. And my book was a metaphysical book. And she and I stayed in touch for years. What a lovely lady. And how, you know, what a synchronicity that the only two people who got book deals were were us. I mean, it was weird. I didn't have an agent. I didn't even have an idea for a book. But HarperCollins... um, invited me in and I did gave messages to the publishers and the, you know, and everybody involved with the book. And uh, they suggested a book on children. Um, It was, I had just all of these lists or ideas or I talked about my work and they settled on that. And, uh, and, and I had some misgivings not having children myself. So I thought, Oh, that's a tough one, but I'm really glad I did it. I, you know, I have not read that book yet. I've read the your latest one, but um, I know that I'll be referring that because I get many parents who call here with the gifted children, and they do not know what to do. They just don't know what to do, and and I normally will not work with a child unless the parents with them, you know, when they're younger, especially. Um, because well, exactly you understand what, exactly what, where I'm coming from, right? Beyond, beyond, yeah. And so that's why mm-hmm. I'm I'm fascinated with your work and this book, your latest book. Um, and I'm going to mention it again, uh, listeners, is everything you wanted to know about the afterlife. And it's almost like a, um, well, it is a total question and answer, like the questions you've been asked. Well, you explain it, because I just love the format of your book. So why well, don't you explain? Um, yeah. yeah, what I discovered over time um, is that, 
you know, more questions were being asked at events rather than fewer. I thought, okay, I've been doing this work for 20 plus years and, you know, I'm out there in the public and I figured people were getting more and more educated about the afterlife. And so there aren't going to be that many questions. Well, when I would open an audience up, anybody have any questions? Holy cow, hands would shoot up. And I thought, this is the weirdest thing. More people want to ask more questions than even when I first started doing this. So I realized that people were beginning to understand a little, but then it just raised many more questions. And some of these questions were based in a fear of maybe missing someone in the afterlife. So questions like, what happens if a loved one is reincarnated? Are we going to miss each other in the afterlife? Or if I miss saying goodbye to someone I love, uh, is that opportunity gone forever, which is a really sort of applicable thing right now with so many people dying without family members being present. So, um, and um, if people die together at the same time, are they in the afterlife together? Um, What happens if I didn't like somebody here? Am I stuck with them forever, you know, in the afterlife? What happens if I had four husbands? Do the four husbands and I have to live together for forever? So all of these questions that people were asking, you know, um, and they were asked more often than not. You know, I'm saying these are not questions that one person asked. These are questions that more than one person asked or on the heart or on the hearts of many people. Um, and so what I found as I was doing these events is people would also come up to me after events and ask me the most interesting questions. One of the most popular was what happens to someone who commits suicide? Oh, I love this now, part of your book. Now, often when someone asks that question, It is never just, I'm curious. It's almost always, I love someone who died this way, but they can't say it. Um, And they're they're afraid of what the answer might be, or they've been told certain things. Um, And so what I discovered is a lot of the most heartfelt uh, questions were asked after events. So that's why I named the book, Everything You Wanted to Know About the Afterlife But Were Afraid to Ask. So these are the questions that are also heartfelt. You know, what about God? What about angels and guides? Uh, what is the difference between a psychic, a medium, and a channeler? Are there differences between ghosts and spirits? I mean, it's a big metaphysical world out, and it can be very confusing to people. So, uh, and what about pets and spirit? Let's not forget about that. So these questions, these Q's and A's, it's like people sitting down with me like we're talking and my answering the questions. So listeners, here are some of the chapters, okay? Chapter one, the basics. I'm just going to list a couple of the, there, there are five different questions. And the first one is, is there really an afterlife? Another one is, is there a difference between a ghost and a spirit? Um, and then, so what's a medium anyway? And then chapter two on being a medium and some of the questions are, do psychics and mediumship abilities run in families? And Hollister mentioned that, that in most cases, yes, it does. Um, can mediums communicate with spirits who speak a different language? Um, because when you start doing international work, that's, you know, and even before that, sometimes, you know, you just get people from different um, cultures, and that's one of, you know, that's one of the things they ask. Okay, so um, do religious figures like Mother Mary and Jesus communicate through mediums? Um, and one other is mediumship uh, exhausting work, which that's a question um, that I think we will dis- discuss today. And then chapter three is the dying experience. Do spirits visit those who are dying? Um, do spirits still feel the physical pain associated, associated with their deaths? Um, chapter four, life in the afterlife. Do spirits have jobs? Do spirits go on vacations? Do spirits have to eat? These are interesting questions. Um, This whole book is just filled with so much information. Okay, then Chapter 5 is Afterlife Relationships. Um, And you kind of mentioned that just a little bit, like does romantic love exist in the afterlife? What is the best way to honor the memory of a loved one in spirit? What's the difference between guides and angels? All right, Chapter 6, The Language of Spirits. Um, Chapter 7, For the Love of Animals. Chapter 8, Spirited Occasions. And Chapter 9, The Big Questions. Um, is it true that our experiences on earth are sort of like life school? Uh, is it possible to love again when you've lost everyone you love? 
can spirits help change my destiny? Can we escape our karma? So this is the tip of the iceberg. That's just like those are the chapter titles and a few of the questions in each of the chapters. So Hollister, this book just came out, and um, you have to be delighted because this book I think is just going to help a lot of people. So, so when you were writing this, was it almost like hard to stop because you had so much information, I bet? Well, yeah, the first um, editorial sweep of the book took out 75,000 words. <laughs> so, oh my you know, but that's I what I feel. I feel you, like you've got so much knowledge in you. Yes. Oh, my goodness. There are many more questions, you know, because the, the thing is, you know, when you sit down, I have a dear friend who I've now known for five years. And when we first met, it was in a radio station. I was doing a spot for America Now, and he was one of the producers on the show. And he sat down, and he just started asking me questions. An hour went by. I mean, this guy was drilling me. And he said he was just amazed because no matter what he threw at me, you know, there was an experience or an answer. And he's been asking me questions ever since. We sit down to dinner. That's it. It's Q&A. I mean, that's basically how we learn. So, um, so this book was kind of a very long conversation and, uh, and the questions I've been keeping track of all of these questions, you know, I was asking people to write their questions on a little piece of paper or a card and put it in a basket. And I would pull the questions out of a basket rather than have people raise their hands and choose people. I found that it worked really well that way. Um, and then I pull these questions out and answer them. Well, I saved all these tiny little pieces of paper. So I started going through. I know it was insane. I come home from a trip with a plastic bag full of these little pieces of paper. And I just started cataloging all of these answers. So, yeah, it was harder to choose the questions to answer than it was actually to write the answers. Oh, I, I would imagine. I mean, when I, when I, you know, I, when I, it arrived a couple of days ago, and I've been like sitting with it, and I was like, oh my goodness, she has another book <laughs> because yes, there's so I many know, questions. I know, I know, I know. All right, so let's go uh, to question number twenty-one. You you mentioned it, but um, for our listeners, um, I, I would like you to answer the question if you would be so kind as to what happens to people who commit suicide because there's a lot of just people just are curious and they don't understand. And I had a brother who committed suicide, and you know it's it's not a, an easy thing for any family or person. So, so what is your take, Miss Miss Hollister Rand, on um, on what happens when people commit suicide? Well, the first thing I have to say is I am also um, a family survivor of a suicide. My dear cousin Tommy killed himself in a very, very public way um, when he was 19 years old on Thanksgiving Eve. And uh. my uncle at the time, um, not, not Tommy's father, but another uncle of mine, um, was listening to, uh, do you remember those police scanners? Um, he was listening oh, yeah. to the police scanner and heard it. So before oh. any of us knew it, he heard it. So um, it, it was a very difficult time for our family. And I went through what everybody goes through. Why didn't he tell me? Why didn't he let me know he was having these troubles? Maybe I could have done something. What if I had paid more attention? I mean, you know, all of yeah. the stuff that people often go through when someone leaves this way. Well, in my first book, um, I'm Not Dead, I'm Different, there's a whole chapter on suicide um, because, uh, you know, I've spoken with many young people who have passed this way. Um, And in this book, everything you wanted to know about the afterlife, but we're afraid to ask, I give a, a broader answer in that, what I've discovered is people come to me. I remember there was a lady, I opened up the door and and she said, my son committed suicide. And I don't like to know why people are coming to see me. I like the spirits to tell me, you know, why they're there and who, you know, what the situation is. So I was a little taken aback. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and she, I I said, well, okay. Um, She said, my, Um, my priest told me that my son and I would be separated forever. 
And I said, okay, well, why are you here? She said, well, I want to hear what you have to say. So she basically wanted a second opinion because this woman knew something that people who love people who have died by suicide also know that they can't imagine a God who can't love the person that they love as much as they do. So, I mean, the bottom line is we love people and we can't imagine that God who is love would banish people from his love. So this mother knew that. And, um, and that's, I think that's where the answer starts pretty much in the book is there is this sense of those who pass with suicide really grasping all of the issues that brought them to that point. Um, And I've had um, people in spirit who kids in spirit who have said to me, I almost didn't make it here to the earth plane. I almost didn't get here, but I wanted to be born to you, mom, you know, so there is the idea of I wanted to be here, and then the world not being really where they wanted to be. There are many, many reasons why people pass with suicide. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. But what suicide gives us is the opportunity to love unconditionally. Despite someone's apparent desire to end the conversation, um, we are willing to love them no matter what that choice may be. And what I discover is those who have passed with suicide very much are the first in line to say hello. I even had a a father in spirit last night um, on a Zoom call. He just could not wait to talk with his daughter and let her know this was not her responsibility. She had been carrying guilt for years. And, And he made it very clear, I did not die to separate myself from you. So what was intriguing was he was trying to separate himself from a fractured self-image, from an image he had created in the world of who he was in the world. And then as he started to lose things in the world, he no longer knew how to define himself. Um, So it was a fractured self-image that caused him to take his life, not trying to separate himself from his daughter. And that had to have brought her great comfort to know that it was his inner struggles. It was nothing she did. Yeah, one of the things that the spirits um, who have passed with suicide, left this world with suicide, talk about is this vision. Their vision in life becomes very tiny. It's almost like at the end of those cartoons, that's all, folks, you know, where the Right, You know, right. it, it sort of just begins to, the lens begins to close and then it goes to black. Um, you know, younger viewers may not be familiar with that trope, but there's this, it's like the closing of a lens. And it's almost as though opportunities, possibilities for life begin to become so limited that it looks like there's only one, one path forward toward death. It doesn't look like there are any other possibilities. That's what happened with my brother. And, you know, you just, you ha- I had great compassion for him. But what's interesting is, you know, he had a drug addiction and <clears throat> just couldn't beat it. And it, it just was too much. And it's exactly what you said. His world got very small, very small, very small. And he just couldn't do it anymore. And, but what's interesting is I still remembered, like, him sick. And one day I was, um, I don't know if you've heard of Thomas John, but it, it really doesn't matter. But 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 he, I was at a gallery style reading, and he said, "Who had someone who committed suicide?" And this is very interesting. It was an afterlife conference, and I had met this gal. Like, there's like 250 people, right? What are the chances that the night before at the dinner, the group dinner, I sat next to this woman, the only other person I found out the next day who had lost someone by suicide out of 250 of us? And so when he said, you know. You know, did, you know, who lost someone to suicide? And I raised my hand, and so this lady, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And he says, no, no, I think it's you. And he, and he went on and on, and he said, you know, who's the gardener? I'm like, oh, that's me. He says, well, do you realize your brother is trying to talk to you and help you while you're gardening? And, and I said, well, no. And he says, you're still thinking of him as sick, aren't you? And I was like, 
probably I hadn't made the leap that he was totally, you know, like he was in pretty bad shape when he left, and that's how I was remembering him. So can you talk just a little bit, you know, about what happens to the souls that are kind of splintered, fractured, injured, whatever, and then they get to the other side, and like you were saying, that oftentimes they're very sensitive and they can see everything differently once they land, once they're once they're out of the physical body and they can see it from a a soul level, shall we say? I'm not. I don't know if I'm yeah, describing this of, very well. Well, yes. <laughs> but, one of the most wonderful things, if you want, if you want to put it in these terms, is that after death, there's full restoration. So I will yeah. speak with a father who lost a leg due to diabetes, and he shows up dancing because he wants his daughter to know. I can dance like I used to. I'm not missing a leg. Look at me go. Um, People who have had Alzheimer's um, have all of their memories, even memories during the time when they were on the earth plane and supposedly weren't present or, you know, their brains weren't working. They remember the gifts that people brought them um, when they were in assisted living. So, Um, There is full restoration, and that's body, mind, and spirit. So there is a full loving restoration. So the spirits, when they speak with me, may come at first the way someone would remember them. Um, So if a person remembers a grandmother as elderly or having had a stroke, that person may appear that way. So, And then as the message is going on, they start appearing younger or more beautiful or the way they want to be remembered or the way they, when they felt more, most powerful in life um, or most themselves. So there's a very um, elastic self version in the afterlife. You can appear young, you can appear old. um, You can let people know mediums. In other words, yes, I felt this way because I will sit there and say, Oh, I feel like my lungs are filling up and my heart gives out, like congestive heart failure. Yes, that's how he died, would say somebody. But the person in spirit no longer feels that. But when they draw close to the medium, it's almost like they're back in the energy of the earth plane, like you walk into an old house um, that you used to live in. And all of a sudden, the memories of your life in that house come flooding back. Oh, I remember, yeah, this is where we would eat, you know, Sunday dinner. Or, oh, yeah, this is uh, where mom used to play cards or whatever that those mm-hmm. memories are. It's the same way when a spirit speaks with a medium and draws close to the earth's energy. There is this <clears throat> memory of the death experience, the dying experience. But it isn't something that they carry with them in the afterlife. So all the pain, all the distress, you know, all of that is gone. Drug addiction, gone. Alcoholism, gone. Um, right. And I even spoke with a, uh, this I think is in my first book, but <clears throat> there was a young girl, a young woman who, uh, who started talking to me in spirit, started talking to me in all of this kind of uh, scientific jargon and theories. I thought, what on earth? Well, it turns out, Her mother was a scientist in two different disciplines. Um, And when I was done with the message, the mother stood up in the middle of the group and said, yes, I knew she understood me. Well, it turns out this daughter had been born with low intelligence. Um, But her mother read scientific journals to her. (laughs) Always trusting that at some level and in some space, girl was fully, fully functional and highly intelligent. She never accepted that her daughter was anything less than perfect. So there you have it. And the daughter was, yeah, and the daughter made it very clear, yes, mom, I got it. So, you know, if we flash forward to Alzheimer's, my father um, asked me, a very dear friend of his was in um, a hospital or a and assisted living with Alzheimer's and did not recognize or seemingly didn't recognize my father. My father said to me, why do I go every week? I said, because even though he can't express that he knows you, he knows you're there. 
deep in his spirit, he knows. And I know this because the spirits tell me, yes, I remember when my granddaughter came or I remember. So even though the brain can express these things publicly, the spirit knows. It's so interesting. My um, stepfather had Alzheimer's, <clears throat> and at the end, he went in between different worlds. You know, like mm-hmm, one day, mm-hmm. one day he he was at home where he lived with his wife. Um, it was his second wife, and she, and he said, "I want to go home." And he, and she says, "Well, I you are home, honey." And and he says, "I want to go to my other house." And he was referencing the house where he raised his you know the six kids, and and in right. his mind. That's where he was, and they can flip in and mm-hmm. out. Like, but but you know, and then I used to take my oldest son when he was an infant to visit my. It was his great aunt, or yeah, it was um, my father-in-law's sister, and she was from Germany. They immigrated uh, to the United States, and when I brought this little baby in, she didn't know who the baby was, but she felt the baby joy. She talked to him in German because that was her first language. Mm. It's like, mm. and she just, and I got to see this loving woman inside. I mean, she was brilliant. She was a legal secretary until she was. 70 years old and then she retired and then after that her mind you know started slipping a little bit and then it was like completely you know full-blown alzheimer's but when i brought that baby in and i could see this woman literally morph into a young woman just filled with love for this baby it was just i mean i've just never forgotten that moment well it's important to remember that the spirits live in the eternal present moment and they are all that they were in life at the same time. So, um, you know, when I'm connecting with them, they can move between those realities, much as you have just described that people can do here. Now, the other thing I'd like to point out about Alzheimer's is, and, and even people nearing death, they may mention that they see someone who has died. Um, and very often that is a spirit that they are seeing. They're not making it up and it isn't part of a delusion. Um, and I, I experienced this with my own mother when she was dying. Um, and she was in her hospital bed and I walked in, you know, hi mom, how are you doing? She said, the lovely children brought me their drawings last night. They all, you know, showed me their drawings. And I'm getting chills as I say this, which means my mother is somewhere here in the room. But anyway, um, and I thought, oh, my God, my mother's having delusions. I have to talk with them about her medication. And then, you know, I, and this is all going on in my head. And then I'm like, wait a minute, Hollister, you talk to dead people. What do you mean? You, you're trying to say your mother's delusional when she had been a teacher all of her life. And why wouldn't children in spirit bring her their drawings? Why wouldn't they cheer her up? Why wouldn't they come? You know, I was coming from the standpoint of a daughter losing her mother and thinking, oh, my God, mom is losing her grip on reality. So I would like to encourage people here rather than, you know, if a father sees a a wife who had died before him or, you know, um, a mother sees a father who uh, died maybe when she was born or, you know, if if a friend sees another friend who died before, don't panic. Say thank you right. for coming because these spirits are coming in support um, for right. the, the next help. transition to help. Um, right. So just say thank you and don't, you know, run around trying to change all the medication like I was, oh, you know, something. Well, something but see, you were a daughter. Mom see things. Yes. <laughs> but and you were a daughter. So, yeah. Right. This is important because just because I'm a medium doesn't mean that I'm immune to grief. And that's really an important point. You know, people think you're a medium, you know, you, you sort of have a get out of jail free card. You don't have to suffer like everybody else around death and dying. And that is not true. Um, you know, I miss my mother. Um, I miss my dear friend who fell off a balcony in France. I miss my cousin Tommy to this day. Do I know that they are with me? Absolutely. But I also have compassion for everyone who has lost someone they love because I know what that is. Now, when I'm doing my work as a medium, 
I don't often, sometimes I get choked up as I am right now when I'm talking about those I love who have passed. But for the most part, the spirits come in life love, excitement, woohoo, we're having a conversation. You know, it's really very, um, they're almost cut and dried in that sense. Um, They're so delighted that this happens that I find myself getting caught up in the joy. And I discovered that with my first book about children in spirit because I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, how, how can I talk to parent? Well, I soon discovered it really wasn't me at all. It was the kids. And their, their joy was infectious. You know, their uh, happiness, their, um, the things they loved about life. Um, and I remember there was one, um, this was a large event um, that I was doing at the Bodhi Tree in Los Angeles, which is no longer in existence. And I came to a man, you know, in one of the first, first or second row or whatever, and I saw this little girl about four years old running around him. And started talking with her. She gave her name as Allison. And, you know, we had this conversation. She talked about how much her parents wanted her in the room they prepared. And dad had her college all planned out. And I assumed that this little girl had died at age four. That's how she was appearing. She let me know she was with the whole family as they were um, on a vacation with a cousin who was her age. All of this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden she appeared like a baby and like a baby in her father's arms. I thought, what is this that I'm seeing? And then she said, daddy, in one breath, you gave me enough love for a lifetime. Well, I couldn't make any sense of this. Well, what had occurred was this baby was born. She had been wanted. Her room was prepared. Her father had figured out she was going to go to his alma mater. Um, and he held her, she took one breath and died. But she would have been four years old had she lived. And her cousin was four years old because they were born right around the same time. So love does not know time. Um, And this little girl was around her family and growing up with her cousins. So then when my first book came out, I was signing copies in. Um, and there was like a long line out the door. So I was just, you know, who should I make this out to? You know, sort of, you know, trying to move the line along. And then I was, this guy came up, he gave me his name and I wrote it out. And he said, um, I'm Allison's father. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. So, <clears throat> so anyway, the bottom line is, that love really is the answer. It's the answer to suicide. It's the answer to crib death. It's the answer to SIDS. It's the answer to children who have been born dead. It's the answer to people who are supposedly dying alone, 100,000 of them in the United States. Love is the answer. And so we can all meet in that space. And I do my work at the frequency of love. You know, um, Hollister, I I totally agree with everything you're saying. And, you know, thank you. My light bulb's going off, ding, ding, ding. You know, um, know, when we think of 100,000 people, you know, that's more than all the deaths in Vietnam and all the war since. I mean, that's pretty shocking. And that's just the United States. I mean, Italy in Italy and Spain, their numbers were just off the charts, and um, but it was very similar. the The doctors and nurses barely go in the rooms because you know they're taking care of so many people, and it's highly, you know, cont- it's infectious. And so, what they did in um, in it was, I think it was Italy. They they had to make a decision. They had young people that needed the ventilators, and so what they did is they compassionately. Um, sedated the people and held their hand and took them off the vents if they were 65 or older. Or maybe it was not 65, but I, th- I forget what the age was, but it was like it was a hard decision. for. Maybe it was, maybe it was older than that, but you get the, the gist of it. They had to d- decide, do I give this ventilator to this young person or do I give it 
like, you know, the, let the young person die and the old person maybe live. So they had harsh decisions to make, but at least they did it compassionately. And people were like, how could they do that? You know, it's when, when you're in war, and this really was, in many, many cases, like a war zone, and how do you make these decisions, you know? And I look well, at all I remember of it, a case. I remember a case out of Italy, and I think it was a beloved priest who actually gave up his ventilator for someone else. A young person. So right. And so there's he all kinds of twists choice. and turns. Right. I mean, to have that much so, compassion and say, I, I'm, I'm ready, let someone. There's just so many layers to this. When when that many people leave at once, and, and especially um, I mean, we're looking at 100,000 in the United States. Let's look at the whole world. That many souls have left planet Earth at one time. And, you know, when 9-11 happened, my girlfriend was, um, she's a shamanic healer, and she was in New York. And she was supposed to do a um, fashion show down in, you know, Manhattan. I mean, she was supposed to be down there ready to go with her didgeridoo. She's from Australia at 8.30 in the morning. And she got up that morning and she heard, do your laundry. And she was gifted psychically. And, and so she was, she's like, I can't do my laundry. I've got to be downtown. She heard it again, do your laundry. And she's like, okay, am I sabotaging? This is an opportunity. This is going to lead to all kinds of other work. You know, the, the drill, like the, the self-inventory, da-da-da-da-da. And then she heard it again, <laughs> do your laundry. Well, you know, when you've done this work this long, you know not to, to not listen to that. So she's like, okay, I'm supposed to do my laundry for some reason. All right, I'm not going. So she's down on the uh, laundry room doing her laundry, and I've been in this building. It's like a high-rise in Manhattan and the Spanish section. And so <laughs> she is in the laundry room, and there's this guy with this walkie-talkie, and he's like, I don't know, something big's happening. We don't know. I, they're, they, Something bad. And so she goes upstairs and turns the TV on, and the one tower is already, like, you know, it's gone. Mm. And she's like, oh, mm. my gosh. So she goes to get her... Um, she goes to get her shamanic drum and a um, and a glass of orange juice, and she looks out the window, and the second plane comes by, the second plane that goes into the tower, and she sees the faces of the people. And she's like, mm. oh, my gosh. Mm. And so she's got her drum and her orange ju- glass of orange juice, and she's like, I have to pray for all these souls that just left so unexpectedly. And then she she went between the worlds. She's like, no, I need to pray for all the people back here who lost those loved ones. And right when she had that thought, the drum split in half, and the orange juice, the bottom of the orange juice glass sheared off. And it's like, because mm-hmm. she went so strongly between, and felt the impact of the ones who left, and she felt the impact. I mean, you know, and she had clients scheduled for that week. I think 15 of the clients that were on her books all lost people in the, in the 9-11 Twin Towers. So mm-hmm. I feel, you know, when, when COVID first started, I said it's going to be, you know, like in 9/11. One of the questions were, where you, where were you when 9/11 happened, or where were you, you know, if you were, you know, of the age that I am, where were you when you heard John F. Kennedy was assassinated, you know, was shot. You know, there's these moments in history, and I and I said we're going to be asking, who did you shelter down with during the COVID, you know, the COVID virus? Who were you sheltered down with? And now I think the question is going to be, you know. How do we deal with this many, this much loss? And I mean, it's not just the United States. Look at how many people China's lost. This whole global pandemic. So, what is your take on to, for to console the people who have lost someone, and then even to console the people who haven't lost someone, who know that this is terrible, but they don't know how to. It's almost surreal to them. Do you understand what I'm asking well, here? I don't know. If yes, I am. I am not in the business of consoling people, but I am in the business of connecting people with loved ones in spirit. So, yeah, this this isn't a you know I I don't give out consolation prizes, but with the connection with those in spirit, there's an understanding that not only does life go on. But those in spirit are very active in their lives and in our lives. You know, when I was doing the audio version of this book, um, I got to the question of, um, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret, by the way, um, when Simon & Schuster asked me to to do the recording of the book, um, we then went 
I guess, to try to find a place to record here in Los Angeles. Well, at that point, everything was shut down. And they said, can you do it at home? I said, sure. I got out, you know, got downloaded the software, got out my microphone and thought, okay, where? Because, you know, my soundproof thing wasn't up and running. Where did I go? I was in my closet. So I recorded (laughs) the audio book in my closet talking into my clothes um, because – that because all of the recording the studios were closed. It was as soundproof as you could get. So anyway, there I am in my closet reading the book, and I got to the question, the answer to what is the difference between guides and angels. And I, I read this line. Um, I am seeing angels with stunning frequency. This may be due to a threat to life on our, plan- on our planet. Now... I had been seeing angels for, you know, the last two, three years had been saying this, you know, that there, there's something happening here. Um, I got to that line and I started to cry and I thought, my God, they of course knew um, that there was this possibility and things were coming. Um, and, and I told the producer of the audiobook on the recording, I said, I just have to stop for today. I can't, I just can't go on. Then the next day, I came back to finish the answer. And the answer goes on to talk about how the angels are here to guide us to transformation of humankind. So where we can be more compassionate, more loving, more connected. You see, the spirits are here for connection, for guidance. Um, and I'm seeing this even in the work that I do. Um, there, there was because I'm doing these online book events now, and so everybody can go to hollisteran.com and find out, you know, what events to attend and that kind of thing. But I do readings at these events, and wouldn't you know, a woman's uh, aunt showed up, and she, and she kind of crossed her arms like, well, why is this lady here? I never knew her. Well, it turns out. She named herself. She died at the age of 18 due to pneumonia, which was why she was here. She was letting her niece know that she was here helping people who were suffering with the pneumonia having to do with COVID. Then her father shows up in a Navy uniform, and he starts talking about how he served in World War II. He was a generation that served its country and that he and others are here to help. So, and he was specifically helping um, uh, naval, you know, Navy people. And it turns out that it was right around the time that this message came through that there was the situation. I don't know whether it was on the Roosevelt or, or what it was, but there were a lot of soldiers who were positive, that kind of thing, with COVID. Right. So right. the spirits are showing up as active members of service in the midst of this. So this is not you know only funny? about connect. Go ahead. I opened your book, and guess what the question is? Do soldiers in spirit talk about combat and its effect on them and their families? Now, what are the chances All right. of that? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, this is our world of synchronicity, right? This is our world of synchronicity. So, um, but I do get asked that. But they're all here. This is what I'm saying. We are not in this alone. Um, And we are being guided and we are being helped. Um, At the time of the AIDS crisis, I think I mentioned I was very much into the creative world. I lost a lot of friends, um, actors, musicians, dancers. Um, And I'm also originally from New York. So I was surrounded by, you know, all of the sort of the New York stuff, the creativity there. And I, you know, it got to be so I did not want to answer the phone. Um, It was so difficult, person after person after person. And one day my friend Arnold, uh, I heard that Arnold died on the floor of his apartment in New York alone, blood coming out of his mouth. And when I heard that, I said, no one is going to die alone on my watch. It's just not going to happen. When I moved out to Los Angeles, I worked in the HIV community. Um, And so I learned a lot um, working with virus, with a virus that didn't have a cure, that there still isn't a vaccine for. Um, And so I feel even now, oh, I get chills as I say this, 
that some of the people I know and who have died, people that I sat with as they were dying, uh, there was a, a man who demanded that I come and sit with him, which I did. I was not a family member, but he asked that I be with him. So I came and I sat with him. Um, and I feel these people are also here helping. So we're not in this alone. If there's consolation in that, so be it. But I'm really all about connection. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, because I think that, you know, you know, people are, you know, some people will say, well, I just can't wait till this shelter down is over and I can get back out there and I can't wait to do everything like I did before. And I'm like, oh. To me, the whole gift, if there is a gift in all of this, you know, of course there is. There's always something good that comes out of even the worst things, is that we don't want to be the same. I don't, I don't think we want to be the same. I think we want to be exactly what you've been talking about in this interview today is coming more from love, coming more from compassion, coming more from connection, which, you know, bravo that the spirits are here to help us right now because we need help right now. You know, we always need help, but right now I think more than ever we're at a a turning point. And, you know, you look at the world since there was, you know, no activity. I mean, the air is clear. The birds are happy. The animals, I mean, everything's different. Don't you, don't you, I mean, do you sense, I don't know, I don't don't need confirmation. For me, let's just say for me, the the colors are more vivid. The, The aliveness of the alive things is more alive right now in the middle of all this. Well, there's always an opportunity in a crisis, and this is an opportunity that I have seen with people who have lost people that they love. The heart closes or the heart opens. So there's really, there are really only two options, and I don't even like to think in duality, but, you know, because I'm not a duality person. But, you know, you lose someone you love, bam, the heart can close. Or you can also open the heart, embrace this loss, move through it, heal, and bring healing to others. So looking at any situation in life, there are these options. You close yourself off from it. You do whatever distraction you want to do, or you open your heart and embrace it. Opening the heart at first is not always the easiest path, which is why I think many people refuse to take it and would rather go the distraction route. But what I have learned in doing this work over 25 years is the spirits are very patient. They have eternity after all. So whatever the process is for some person, whatever the journey takes, you know, COVID may not be their personal wake-up call. That may not happen. But it may be someone else's wake-up call. And what begins to happen is as more and more and more people wake up to the connection with spirit and living in uh, gentility and kindness and truth, you reach almost a tipping point. And that's when great change is possible. So that's kind of where I live, really respecting and allowing each person to have his or her journey. Um, I have never been normal, you know, so when people talk about going back to normal, I'm like, well, what the heck is that? You know, when I was a kid, I was anything but normal. So I don't even think in terms of normal. So for me, this is, you know, people go, I want to go back to normal. I'm like, well, what does that mean? So I always, you know, I always ask that question. Well, your normal is not my normal is not her normal. What the heck does normal even mean? Um, so I'm tending to look at this as, are we, is it heart opening or heart closing rather than norm, normality? That's a beautiful way to explain this. You either, I, I love this, and that is my, um, we're going to take this as, as the, the takeaway here. So you have a choice. We all have a choice right now, and this book, uh, everything you want to know, wanted wanted to know about the afterlife, but we're afraid to ask. It covers everything from the afterlife to spirits to spirit communication, mediumship, healing, and grief. And 
you know, Hollister, I just thank you so much. I know you're very busy. I know this was an early interview with you being in California. So I really want to thank you uh, so much for the work that you're doing. It doesn't surprise me that you worked with the AIDS patients. I mean, you know, that's where a lot of full faith and compassion, you know, that was the first time we'd ever dealt with a virus that we didn't have a cure for. Well, it's not the first time, but you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. um so, so listeners, this is Hollister Rand that you've been hearing uh, for this last hour. The minute this interview is over, it is a podcast. You can uh, use the same link that you came to to hear this interview. You can share it with your friends and family. You can come back and re-listen to it because there was a lot of knowledge in this interview. And her um, book is available, and I did not realize there was an audio tape, but it sounds like, is that coming or is that already out? the audio tape oh no it's already out we did it really quickly i was i was in my closet for days and just spoke my way right through the book i'm sorry but now i'm going to be thinking about hollister in her closet giving us her audio book and i'll be laughing because that's how my mind works but um but listeners hollisterrand.com and spiritseeker.com and join our email list so that we can let you know about wonderful interviews such as this hollister from my heart to your heart thank you so much for what you're doing and for sharing um your time and information with us in this book so thank you so much uh namaste well, thank listeners. you for having me <laughs> Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Um, and we will help you. Just keep in touch, anything else. Um, and I'm going to find your, your original book. I think that will um, – I can refer that book to a lot of people. So thank you so much. And everyone, have a have a great week. And just remember the words. We're at choice. You can open your heart or close it. And this is a wonderful opportunity to open your heart and see how we can help because we're all in this together. Okay, and the spirits are here to help us. <laughs> May the spirits be here. All right, thank you so much, Hollister. Thank you so much, listeners, and have a great week. And um, spread the word, like the show, um, share the link with others. Thank you so much. Thanks, Hollister. <laughs>